Welcome to another episode of B2B Nation, the official technology advice podcast for sales and marketing professionals. I'm your host, Chris Kleinfelter, and I recently had the opportunity to speak with Herman Mann, the global vice president of product at Zero. We talked about the difference between VR or virtual reality and AR, augmented reality. Virtual reality is when a user experiences a virtual world with the user immersed in that world. In augmented reality, the user experience is in the real world with images placed on top of actual physical surroundings. An example of augmented reality is the worldwide phenomenon Pokemon Go, which I'm assuming most of us played at some point, even if we don't want to admit it. We also talked about how businesses may end up using VR and AR to their advantage. Uh, you know, with both of these platforms, you can show what a product looks like. You know, a customer can experience a product to help them make a purchase decision. Uh, all in all, this was a really good interview. Uh, it was really insightful. It talked about a really neat topic today. And uh, without further ado, here's my interview with Herman. Enjoy. Welcome to the B2B Nation, Herman. Thanks for talking with me today. Thanks for having me, Chris. Absolutely. Yeah, we're very excited to uh, to talk with you today. And uh, before we jump into you know all things virtual reality, which is a pretty exciting to talk about today, uh, exciting topic here. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background and Zero? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I work at Zero, and Zero is beautiful accounting software built in the cloud from day one. We're a global company with over seven hundred thousand subscribers and over one hundred eighty countries. And so I head up the team here in San Francisco called the People Portfolio Team. Um, and what we do is we uh, build great software to help small business owners manage their employees. So our team builds our global payroll and expense management products and platforms. And so I head up the product and engineering teams here for that. Uh, started off my career at Microsoft in Redmond, spent a number of years in product and engineering management, um, managing various teams as well was fortunate enough to, to work on a lot of hard problems. So worked on a number of things from gaming APIs and DirectX to identity management and active directory. And when I left cloud computing in Azure, uh, did my own startup on the side called Choosy, focused on finding great food and great eats uh, in the Seattle area and moved down to the Bay Area in 2013, just to get closer to the startup action here in the Valley. Um, Really, I'm a geek and a technologist at heart and love building great new technologies that disrupt the status quo, and that's why Zero is such a natural fit for me. I love hearing the uh, just where people come from. Uh, so here in Nashville, we have there's a lot of musicians, but everybody has a unique story because no one's from here. <laughs> and uh, I find that on this show, too, <laughs> where just everybody has these amazing backstories. Yeah, I worked worked at this company that you all have heard of doing these amazing projects that you all use today. And then I moved on to this excellent company doing this. And uh, that, that's it's just so neat to hear. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, so today we're here to talk about um, a few things with virtual reality. Um, in my opinion, virtual reality is hitting the world like a tidal wave. I mean, you have PlayStation VR it's coming out on the video game side, and uh, there's just a lot of talk about it. And so uh, I don't think a lot of us know, uh, especially if you don't play video games or, or things like that, uh, you may not know the origin you know, of VR uh, or what brought about its popularity. Uh, so I'd love to, to uh to talk about that with you today. Yeah, what is the origin of virtual reality? Like, where did it come from, and and what brought about its popularity? 
Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's, it's, it's a great, great, interesting topic. And, and we're really at this cost where it's about to break out again. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think about virtual reality and when I look at virtual reality, I, I really think of two things. I think it's a combination of virtual reality and augmented reality that's really going to go hit the industry by storm. And I think we're seeing it now. So with VR, the user experiences a virtual world, right, and is immersed in that world. And with augmented reality, AR, the user experiences the real world with images enhanced on top of it around actual physical surroundings. So a good example of that would be Pokemon Go um, with what happened over the summer and how that really took the U.S. by storm, right? That's a great example of augmented reality. Mm -hmm. And there are big growth opportunities here. When you look at it, I think Goldman Sachs actually said it's an $80 billion market by 2025. And DigiCapital thinks that it'll even be bigger, right? It's a $120 billion market, they think, by 2020. Wow. Huge, astounding numbers, just crazy. And so with respect to VR, I, I think it came to prominence really in the, the early mid-90s, right? Largely focused on gaming, um, as you alluded to earlier, Chris. Mm-hmm. Nintendo and Sega were, were really playing in the space. And that said, I think all of us have always been somewhat enamored with virtual reality. I mean, if you think about the 90s and science fiction movies depicting alternate universes, right, that really peaked a huge number of our imaginations. And arguably, Matrix was probably one of the best ones that come out of that era, right, around virtual reality. Mm-hmm. And so many people have, have heard about it, but really up until now, it, it's, it's largely been an imagination. And I think we're at this unique point in time where technology, cost, and really social norms have intersected to make this acceptable. And I think that's why we're seeing such a big growth now in popularity with virtual reality and with augmented reality. Um, In the 80s and 90s, no one would have ever dreamed about the computing power of mobile phones, right? I mean, it's it's incredible with what we have today with the iPhone 7, with the droids out there, the... um, the compute power and the graphics and just casual games today, like we, we take that for granted, right? So if you take a step back and imagine if we were transported back in time and we looked forward in 2016, right, in the 90s, then we'd say you'd have this really powerful phone where we just take for granted all these awesome graphics, right, the frame rates and everything that happened in this device. No one would really believe you. And at the same time, we really made so many advances in software as well. Right. And so algorithms around machine learning and big data are prevalent in almost everything we touch. Right. So think Siri and think Google Maps. I mean, the fact that you can talk to your phone and it can actually respond intelligently too, right. And it learns over time or think about Google Maps where you want to go somewhere, you punch in an address and it actually takes you there, but it could actually estimate your arrival down to the minute. I mean, that's pretty astounding. Right. And this is 2016. And this is where we are. So, it's become that expectation of our customers that has really changed our lives. And with predictive and contextual computing, that's almost a status quo. And that in com- combination with, with cost and what's in with storms is, is what's really propelling um, AR and VR forward into the future. So virtual reality, it, it seems like a neat hobby in a lot of ways. You know, like, hey, I can use it for for gaming or, or maybe even other other sorts of hobbies in the future. Maybe movies get more interactive with it. Uh, who's to say at this point? It could, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to get even more interesting as we go. But as we 
bring this into the business world, um, my thinking is, and I'm curious to get your take on this, is that uh, enterprise businesses may be able to utilize it first just because it, it, the cost to get into uh, you know, buying equipment or whatever it takes to uh, be involved with the virtual reality world and business. However, those two come together. Uh, cost is certainly going to be a factor is my main point there. I'd be curious to get your take on, uh, you know, how does virtual reality impact small businesses? You know, do, do small businesses have the capacity to use VR to their advantage? Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, and I think you touched on it really well, Chris. I think there's, there's really the way that I think about it, there's two ways to think about how this can potentially impact small businesses. The first one is using you know, AR and VR for customers to experience your products and offerings, and, and that's what you touched upon earlier. The second one, though, is using AR and VR as a platform, as a marketing channel, right? And I think that one's actually really interesting. I'll go into each of those um, independently. So with respect to the former, um, it's the ability to leverage AR and VR for customers to see, hear, and touch a product, right, that otherwise may not be possible. And that's actually pretty cool. So when you think about a small business and, and maybe a roofing company, um, using AR is a great technology for customers to see how the product actually looks like, right? Using VR to actually go touch it and to go sense it is it something that they can do. But using these technologies, the customer is able to go see the roof before and see the roof after it's installed. And they can actually not only imagine, but they can actually see it and touch it and feel it and almost be like they are there uh, in time and on that roof. And so from a managing customer expectations perspective, it's a win-win, right, both for the small business and the customer. Um, they get many benefits from that, that, that technology. The other is really being cognizant of AR and VR trends and leveraging it as a marketing channel. So like I talked about earlier, Pokemon Go in the U.S., that, that came out of nowhere right this past summer and really sure took did. everybody by storm, right? And, and some small businesses actually got really strategic, and what they did was they placed lures to get foot traffic into their stores, right? Super smart, very inexpensive. And so I read about a coffee shop in California that did just that. What they did was they put a lure there in front of their shop, and new customers came by. And as a result, coming by, they actually went in there and, and bought coffee, right? Really intelligent way of, of attracting customers and really using the ARVR platform as a way to go market your small business to get more foot traffic there. Um, related to this, I think we're actually going to see more of an explosion actually around advertisement placement in VR in particular. And so when you think about the opportunity here, you think about what Google did for advertisements, right, to the web versus traditional media. There's companies like Triver that, that are starting to come now to go take a crack at the VR space, right? And it wouldn't surprise me that in the future if Google or Facebook announced something there to drive more, um, more ad revenue through, through their platforms as well. You know, it'll be interesting to see, as you alluded to, um, definitely touched on something I was hoping you'd talk about is you get to sort of experience what a project might be like before you, you have to pay for it or before you have to, you know, uh, a roof's a great example. Before it's actually done, you get to see what it looks like and you get to really experience that. I'd be curious to see what some of these companies do uh, with that capability because that is just a, a completely unique 
uh, set of uh, parameters that marketers never had the chance to really use yet. And it, it'll also be interesting, uh, you, you've noticed if you, um, so I got to play the uh, PlayStation VR recently, and, and you can tell developers are sort of fumbling through, like, okay, what works, what doesn't. I think marketers and businesses will do the same thing. Uh, like, hey, that, that was a terrible experience for users, or, hey, this was amazing, we should do more of that. Uh, it'll be neat to see the tests that go on, and that's probably a whole other episode, uh, with just the, the testing that Absolutely. will go on between uh, testing versions of, of what would work with, with customers, because nobody really knows, and uh, it's just neat to to be part of something new like that and seeing what the origins of it look like and, and uh, how everybody stumbles and, and crawls before they walk and walk before they run in that instance. Um, so, so let's look ahead since we started uh, to allude to that. Let's look, you know, in our crystal ball, looking into the future, uh, specifically with accounting. Uh, uh, what is the future of accounting and how can small businesses prepare for it? Yeah, when I think about this, I think there's a few angles to this. Um, one, I think accounting will be more automated over time. Um, secondly, I think accounting will be made more human. And then thirdly, I think accounting will move from what was largely compliance to an active part of the business. And so I'll, I'll dive into each one of these. Um, I think with the emergence of machine learning, systems are getting smarter, right? And more of the workflow is being automated. Uh, if, if anybody had heard Rod Drury, our CEO, talk at ZeroCon, uh, he, he talked a lot about invoice categorization and leveraging machine learning to actually go do this. And the fact that our systems have so much data, we can easily and more accurately categorize these invoices than a small business owner can, right? And this is goodness because for starters, it's done right, right? And so it saves both the small business owner time and it saves the accountant or the bookkeeper time from recategorization. However, when you get down to it, it really helps save the small business owner their time. And that's what's really cool about this, right? They can focus on what they love doing, which is serving their customers and growing their business. Secondly, I think we're going to see more of a humanization of accounting. And what I mean by that is you're going to see accounting be more accessible and more familiar to small business owners and the various interfaces that they're familiar with, right? Like Facebook Messenger or Slack, um, or even Siri one day, right? At ZeroCon, we announced Hey Zero, which is actually really exciting. We know that there are 50 million small businesses who use Facebook Messenger every month. And so why not have those small businesses be able to do accounting from within Facebook Messenger? Right? It's just a more natural, easy way they can use natural language and, and just go ask the questions. And using Hey Zero, small businesses can then discover new apps in the Zero ecosystem, find partners and whatnot, but they can query for their financial data, such as who owes them money or when their next bill is due. And, and so that is bringing them just contextually into that flow, and it just makes it so much easier for them to go access this accounting data. And then regarding accounting data, like accounting going from compliance to being a more active part of the business, we'll just see more integration of accounting across other sources of data and processes, right, such as email and payment processing to make it more efficient for small businesses. I mean, that's a common theme here, I, I think, across everything, right? A lot of people talk about machine learning and big data, but that's really not the end goal. The end goal is really around automation and efficiency. It's a means to the end, right? And so... With big data, more insights will be generated and available to that small business like spend or procurement or benchmarking right against others, just to name a few. 
And, and that's really exciting because, you know, you had talked about earlier with virtual reality and all that stuff that enterprises, you know, big companies have access to this. And, and with this, with, with the future of accounting, big enterprises have access to this data today, right? They have armies of people and machines doing predictive models and insights. So just think about large financial firms. That's what they do, right? But our goal is to really make this technology available to all small businesses. And I think that's where the explosion is. It's bringing that into monetizing that knowledge and that technology down to small businesses so that they can actually go leverage that moving forward. And that's really what's exciting about this, right? It's like the technology will be doing the hard lifting. And so really, there isn't much for the small business to do other than, of course, leverage this technology that's put in front of them. And so really exciting times. Yeah, so so here's a follow up question. With that said, because there's that phrase that you know, cash is no longer king, and I think what we just talked about uh, kind of nudges us towards this question: uh, How do businesses adapt today? You know, since cash is no longer king, quote unquote. Yeah, well, businesses need to accept payments in any form. It's all about reducing friction for that customer at the end of the day, right? You want to make that transaction funnel just super easy and convenient for them. Mm-hmm. So in store, they need to support traditional debit credit cards do that today, but mobile payments like Apple Pay and PayPal as well. And so like mobile payments are forecasted to grow in the U.S. In 2016, there's about 30 billion via mobile payments, and that's forecasted to grow tenfold to 266 billion by 2020, right? Astounding. And so point of sale solutions like Square make this very simple, and that's exciting because this data can feed into your accounting system directly, making it simpler to manage and, frankly, even more correct, right? And so that whole workflow just makes it super simple if you accept um, if you accept mobile payments and, and other forms of payment, right? From a secondary perspective, if you're online, I mean, not supporting digital payments really hurts that small business. We know cash flow is, con- is a huge concern for small businesses today. So they want to get paid faster, and getting paid faster is in their best interest. So if you look at the traditional method by which small businesses send an invoice to a customer, wait for the customer to receive that invoice, and then they send in a check, well, that could take one to two weeks, right, for the small business to actually receive their funds. And so imagine a world where you actually send an invoice, right, and there's a link for that customer to go pay online. It's a win-win for everyone. And so it really reduces friction for the customer and the small business and the small business actually gets paid much faster, which is in line with their interests. So it's actually why, like, you know, at Zero, we've emphasized so much around the seamless integration with Strike and PayPal in particular, right? We present the option for customers to pay the invoice right there and then, so small businesses can get paid faster. And then, of course, we reconcile all the payments and all that good stuff behind the scenes, right, with accounting on the back end. So using that, we're basically propelling that forward and putting them in a, a cashless world, so to speak. Just wait till you get, you know, businesses get paid in VR. Uh, that'll be the day. Uh, <laughs> just thinking about that, that's <laughs> kind of crazy. Uh, well, th- that was a really great piece on on helping small businesses because that's one that um, I have a few friends that run small businesses. Just curious to see uh, that is a, that is really a difficulty for them um, moving moving past that and getting to a model that you outlined. It's amazing how how uh, difficult but yet freeing that is when when businesses actually make that jump. So thanks for outlining that. And, and thanks for talking about VR with us today. That was a, a really great discussion. I know our listeners definitely gained a lot from it here. So where can our listeners find you out on the web? Yeah, Chris, um, best to find me on Twitter. 
my at hand, my handle is at Herman underscore man, M-A-N. Um, connect with me. Would love to, to tweet with you. Uh, if you have any questions that you want to go shoot me, you could also connect with me on LinkedIn as well. And happy to field any private messages there as well. I'm looking forward to connecting with you. All right. Well, thank you again to Herman for joining me today. And thanks, as always, to our listeners for following along. Uh, This episode was recorded at the Technology Advice Podcast Studio in Nashville, Tennessee. To listen to more episodes of B2B Nation, check us out on SoundCloud or iTunes. And to learn more about the show, you can find us on Twitter at technology underscore ADV or online at technologyadvice.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.